Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. The Bible tells us that when our heart is healthy, the rest of our life will be healthy too. This message will empower you to live your life with a healthy heart, resulting in a life connected to God, the church, and biblical community. Enjoy the message. Today we're going to talk about something that is so near and dear, I think, to every single one of us, and it is healthy connections. Having the wrong connections can set your life on the wrong trajectory for the rest of your life. And this is something, this is something often we don't get right. This is something often that we are now littered in life and we're the same because there are different connections in our life that are influencing us and steering us in directions that we wish we would not go. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says this. It says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Let me say that again. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So what is a friend? Uh, what, what is a friend? When you think of what, a, how would you define what a friend is? A, a friend, I, I believe, can be defined this way. By the way, you're going to want to take notes this morning because we're really going to dive into uh, connecting points and connections. Uh, and, and hopefully you're an expert on what a friend is by the end of, of this message. But a friend is one who knows and who has a bond of mutual affection and like-mindedness with another person. A friend is one who knows and has a bond of mutual affection and like-mindedness with another person. Now, of course, there are different levels of friends, and we'll get into that this morning. Uh, but it's just like the word love, you know, love has so many different meanings. You can love a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and you can love your spouse, right? We're told to love the Lord God with all our hearts, and yet we can say, oh, I absolutely love my car. Well, love is, is, is used for so many different meanings, and so is friends. We call people friends, and we don't really define what does that mean. For me, most of my friends growing up, they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know Jesus. Uh, they were friends from the neighborhood. And if we can go back again through the midst of time, I'm going to take you back to the 1980s, all right? This is how people became friends. They were in the neighborhood, and when they got bored, they unannounced knocked on the door and asked if you can come outside and play, all right? How many of you remember that? That's how it was. This is before, yeah. This is before uh, the, the cell phones and the parents could track where you were going. This is before it had to be on a little calendar play date, right? You knocked on the door. You got asked to go outside and say, Mom, can I go outside? And they would say, yes. And then you'd go outside. The, when I had to be back was when the street lamp was on. Do you remember that, right? When the street lamp was on. And get this. Between the time you left and the street lamp that went on, your parents had no idea where you're at. You're in a one to two square mile area. And things got serious because if, when you came, if you did not come home by the time the street lamp was on, mom would start calling around the neighbors. Have you seen Andy? Have you seen Andy? Have you seen Andy? And finally when they locate me and they go and drive and pick me up, you knew you were in trouble, right? I mean, today you don't come home, the parents are calling the cops, it's on the news. Back then they're like, oh, they'll come around and they're going to be grounded, right? That's how it was. That's how it was. Boy, have times changed. There was one friend my parents weren't thrilled with that I hung out with. Uh, I remember my mom saying this, I do not want you hanging out at Greg's house. I'm like, why? Because he's a latchkey kid, all right? Now, that's an old term. I thought it was old even when my mom used it, right? I'm like, latch what? All right. He was a kid that would come home. He didn't have a babysitter. He got to come home and stay home alone, right? Home alone movie? <laughs> that was happening in my neighborhood every week, 
right? People would come home from school, and so whenever I'd hang out with Greg, we'd get in a lot of kid trouble, all right? A lot of kid trouble. I remember one time at Nickelodeon came out with this green slime shampoo. We're like, I think we can make that ourselves, all right? So we made some green slime shampoo. It created a chemical reaction and put a whole green slime stain in the middle of the living room, all right? That's, that's the type of thing that the kid trouble you would get involved with. But my mom, she, did, she wasn't too keen on that. But I look back at my childhood. I'm like, yeah, I resonate with the Goonies. Stranger Things nails it, right? That was how life was. It was at Greg's house. I saw MTV for the first time as a kid. I got busted whistling the Grateful Dead. My parents were like, where did you hear that? I learned the bootleg version of the birds and the bees from Greg. Didn't get it quite right, but they're like, where'd you learn that? And my friend Greg, he spoke a different language. Later on, I found out that was called cussing, all right? And so, uh, and now here's the thing. By God's grace... Most of my friends didn't know Jesus, all right? And by God's grace, I followed what my parents told me to do. Parents, that's so vitally important. Be black and white with your kids. I hear parents say, well, I want them to make their own decision. Tell them what they're supposed to do. You're their parents, right? You're the expert. I know that, I know that we don't know what we're doing sometimes, right? But you're the expert. Please be black and white with them. By God's grace, I listened to my parents even when everybody else was contrary to what, doing what my parents told me to do. Parents have a sixth sense. Mom wanted to make sure we were hanging out with the right people. She understood the more we spent time, that is proximity, the more we spent time, the more probability we'd pick up these habits. We'd pick up different worldview or vices that were contrary to our upbringing. As a result, my parents would not let me go to certain birthday parties. They'd not let me watch R-rated movies. Come on, Terminator, it's cool, right? They wouldn't let me play video games all the time. I thought it was crazy until I became a parent. And you know what? They were right all along, right? Why? Here's our main idea this morning. The closer the connection the greater impact. The closer connection, the greater the impact. This is true for kids. This is true for you as well. Your connecting points are great points of influence in your life. So who or what are you connecting to? Who or what are you connecting to? I am going to shatter the myth this morning that where people think that, oh, I can hang out with this person, I can connect with this thing, or I can listen or watch this thing and not be affected. I have not met one. Because it doesn't exist. We are influenced by our points of contact. So who or what are you connecting with? Now, not every friend is of equal influence. But the closer the connection, the greater the impact for the good or the bad. So what do you let in your life? What are you letting in your life this morning? Well, I'm going to pull something out here. I, um, I was a previously a youth pastor. And one of the things I taught parents and then also students was called this, the friendship circle, all right? This is from Kurt Johnson. This is a really old book from the 2000s. And uh, this is why I would teach middle schools. There are, there are three sets of friends. You have, you have the casual, you have the close, you have the core. Then you have me, right? You have me in the center. And so when I was a youth pastor, I would teach students the importance 
of choosing the right friends and making sure they're in the right ring of proximity towards you. But this works for adults too. Can we admit it that sometimes adults, relationships in adulthood haven't really grown up from the middle school days? Am I, can we agree? Can I get a hearty amen if that's true, right? <laughs> Too often adult friendships can resemble the middle school or high school drama. Sometimes the only difference is unlike middle school, uh, uh, we aren't as broke and we don't have to ask our parents permission. That's about the only difference sometimes in the maturity of friendships. So what we see in these circles are three different types of, of, of influences they go from casual, close, to core, all right? That's going to be our operating system here as we now walk through different examples. So let's talk about the casual friend. The casual friend is somebody that we have limited trust with and influence, and there can be a lot of them. Now, research shows that you can have up to about 30 people that you know, that you would say you know well, 30 people. So I would say that, this circle could maybe have more, but you're probably not going to put more than 30 people in here, okay? There could be more in the casual, um, especially if you count acquaintances as just a uh, casual friend. This is the largest circle. There's room for a lot of people. This could be school classmates. This could be work friends. This could be people from your neighborhood, people that you see at the coffee shop, people you see at the store regularly, a cashier. Hey, hello, how you doing, right? These are the people that you're just around. You may hang out with these people simply because of circumstance. You have friendly conversations. You may share common interests or activities. But you don't go out of your way necessarily to, to see this person or, or to hang out. And you might be selective in what you share with this person. You, you may not share necessarily core values uh, with this person. That is a casual friend. I would say today that most people only have casual friends. Uh, I, I think we've seen a death of close and core friends. I'll explain that more in just a moment, a bit. Uh, some other examples of casual friends would be acquaintances. Acquaintances are someone that you, again, don't know well. Um, uh, you, you may have even gone to their house for something, uh, but you only know basic details about this person's life. Another person that may be in the casual circle, or what I call historical friends. Now, this is important. An historical friend often are mistaken as current best friends. But this was once a close friend that has now faded. They've either faded because of circumstance or faded because of time or proximity. But oftentimes, people will treat a historical friend, oh, man, we were, we were best friends in fourth grade, and, and you, you treat them like, oh, they're still my close friend. Well, they're probably not. You may not know them as a core friend if you uh, haven't interacted with them in decades or, or even years. Another uh, group of friends that could be in the casual friendship are people that you meet online, social media. Uh, many of us are just social media friends with people, even people in Kenosha. Oh, I like their post. We're friends. Oh, I saw what they ate for dinner. I liked it and I commented on it. We're good friends, right? And unfortunately, people are more connected more than ever with social media, yet feel more lonely than ever in history. Social media has its benefits. We can connect with family, can connect with friends afar, but it has its dark side. Research, again, has shown with all the benefits we get from it, uh, social media causes serious issues such as misinformation or gossip, loneliness, and comparing our lifestyle to somebody else's highlights. 
right? Nobody's going to look at their messy living room and then see someone's awesome vacation and think, oh man, my life's great, right? Social media is a, is a game of comparison and you'll always lose when you play the game of comparison. And many may have hundreds, if not thousands of online friends, but in real life, they're not really friends. Now, a dishonorable mention that, uh, that often gets into the circle of friends is what I will call the frenemy, all right? Anybody have ever had a frenemy, right? A person uh, who is a frenemy is a close, uh, they're close maybe, uh, they are friendly to you, uh, uh, but they have a fundamental dislike or rivalry with you. This person's friendly to your face, but they often insult or jealous or passive aggressive to you, towards you. This person often maintains a frenemy and often will push out healthy people to keep the frenemy with them because somehow the frenemy is giving them some social equity. Or maybe you're afraid if I, if I cut this, this frenemy out of my life, uh, I'm afraid what will happen to my life. And so that's why some of you are tolerating frenemies and spheres of influence in your life this morning. All right, so that's our casual friend. Let's go a ring closer. Let's go to the close friends. This is a high level of trust and influence. I would say uh, someone who is a uh, close friend, you could have maybe up to a dozen close, close friends, maybe more, um, depending on how you're wired, okay? And again, this is less influence than you would give maybe your core inner circle per se, but these people are highly influential. You'll have more room for these people. They will probably share life together, uh, but they might not share all of life together. Uh, I can think of a, a category where a, a mentor could fit in here. A mentor is going to know a lot about your life. They might not share personal time with you, but they do share what's going on in your life, and they uh, are there to personally enrich you. So a, a mentor, I would say, would probably be in the close friend ring. Um, I have a couple of mentors in my life, Greg uh, Steer being one, uh, also uh, Doug. Many of you have met both of them. And then we have core friends. And core is, uh, is the center of our friendship. Uh, you're going to have between four and ten of these, all right? Maybe more if you're just highly just wired in a spaz, all right? But uh, maybe four to ten in, in the core area. This is your smallest circle uh, that is closest to you. And in this circle, you should, you should have this, this person definitely. You know who you should have in your core? Come on, this is a Sunday school answer. Who should you have in your core? Jesus, that's right. Jesus said in John 15, 15, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I know, his master, for, for everything that I know, not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have known to you, made known to you, excuse me. Jesus is king. He's Lord. He is God. He is the creator of the universe, and he calls you friend. He calls you friend. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, he's like, you're my friend. And you're not just my casual friend. You're not just my close friend. You're his core. You're his core friend. He knows you. He knows everything about you, and he wants you to know him. So Jesus needs to be in our core. Another person that should be in the core, if you're married, should be your spouse. 
This is a relationship that's mutually exclusive of the highest level relationally here on earth that's reserved for marriage. This includes sexual relations, raising a family, um, and this gives precedent to all relationships with the exception of Jesus. All right, who else could be in your core? Uh, it, could be, it could be a dating relationship. Now, I'm gonna put an asterisk here because there's a lot of dating relationships that go south and they aren't even in your casual after that point, right? They go from core and whoo, that's why breakups can be so difficult. But uh, dating interest is two individuals opposite gender engaged in social activity together most often with the intention of evaluating each other's suitability for marriage. Then you have close friends, all right? Uh, these, you, have, you have close friends. That, these are people that you have fondness for, you make time for, even if you live far away. This is someone that you can walk and you do life together and you share core values with. This is someone you, could, you will drop anything to be by their side if, if you needed something. And close friendship is reciprocal. So many of you, you may have people that are close. They, are, they do life and walk with you. Now, I want to make an honorable mention. Where's your extended family and your kids in these rings? Your extended family, uh, they, they could be in any one of these categories. Your extended family could be casual, close, or core. They, could, they might not be in, in your circles at all, depending on situations in life. But extended family, and I, I hope that you have a healthy relationship with the extended family, and they are in one of these rings. And by the way, I don't think an extended family not being in your core is not, that's not bad. They might be close, but they might not be core. They might be core, I don't know. But the, here's the deal. Too often, when people get married, they forget, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, when a man and woman come together, the man is supposed to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. People forget that. And so like what, what they realize is that, okay, we gotta go to our second cousin's once removed birthday, and if we don't, we're excommunicated from the family. I've heard things like this before. I'm like, wait, what? hold up here, what? And what I want you to know is this, is that your extended family, they may be friends, but they never trump your household. That may be controversial to some of you, but that's biblical, all right? That's Genesis 2. And if an extended family is trying to, it, trying to encroach and trying to treat you like you're a kid still in the house, hey, I just want to say, I, I, I understand parents. My kids are starting to grow up a bit, and I'm like, oh, crud, right? But it may be time to cut the umbilical cord, just a bit. And you're going to find that you'll relate with your kids probably even better. So that's extended families could be somewhere in that ring. What about kids? Um, parents? This may be controversial in today's day and age, but we're just going to say it. Parents, your parents first. We're going to have a, we're going to have a parenting on purpose on, on Mother's Day and Father's Day. We'll talk more about this. We're going to have, we're going to have a, even a dad panels. Can't wait for it. But here's the thing. Parents, you are parents first. You're not friends first. And as a youth pastor, I saw this, and parents even told me this. We are friends with our kids. That's how we parent. I'm like, and you want to know why we're having disciplinary problems? I once had a kid try to take over the youth group when I went on vacation. And the parents were like, well, we're friends with our kids. Uh, and, and so you need to explain to us why he can't implement these change. And I said, well, let's go science here. His frontal cortex has not fully developed, right? You're the parents to help where the frontal cortex is not, not completely developed. Do you understand? They didn't. You may be friends with your kids, but you have to be parents first. And I want you to know this. You want a lifetime of friendship with kids? Parent them while they're in the home. 
and you'll be better friends with them when they're out of the home. But know this, even when you're friends with your kids when they're out of the home, they still want a parent. Parents, you have a position that nobody else can, can stand in fully as you can. So don't ever negate that. Some people do. And for those of you that are parent-like or that you have been a parent to somebody who you're not actually the biological parents, thank you. Thank you for doing that. But remember, parents, your parents first. All right, does that make sense with all everybody in the circles? All right, great. Okay, so where are you at in the friendship? Where, where, where are the people at in your life in the friendship circles? Where are they at? Uh, think about, don't say them out loud, but think about the names of people that are in your life. Where are they at in those circles? Now, I, I, I've heard this objection before. Everybody's my equal friend. I don't play favorites. Oh, how dare you have best friends or how dare you. Uh, everybody's the same. There should be no inner circle. Everyone's my best friend, et cetera, et cetera. You get the point, right? You've heard this. Maybe you've thought this. My quick answer to this objection is, is this. If everybody is your friend, you probably have no deep friendships. If everybody is your equal friend, you probably don't have friends that are deep. And this isn't to like say shame on you. This is, this is I hope this is a breakthrough to where you're able to have friendships in Christ that are going to push you to be more like Christ. Because unfortunately, friendships can be a collateral. They can teach you to be, to be somebody who is not Christ-like. You can go through all the Christ-like motions, uh, but, but you're anything but being Christ-like and encouraging people. You're, you're, you're hanging out with tornadoes, and you want to know why there's damage all around, right? So, another reason is, um, I, I, I think that these this circles are, are true, is um, I think it's what Jesus did. I think it's what Jesus did. In fact, I heard a pastor put it this way. Jesus came to love and save the world. That's everybody, right? He, he, for God so loved the world, and anybody that received him receives that free gift, right? So God came to love and save the world. He fed 5,000. He trained 120. He discipled the 12, and he mentored three. Peter, James, and John, Mount, Mount of, of uh, Transfiguration. Right? Let me say that again. Jesus came to save the world. He fed the 5,000. He trained 120. He discipled the 12. He mentored the three. Jesus had an inner circle. And I love that quote uh, from, from Kurt Johnson. I love that quote. Is that Jesus understood that who he chose to be in proximity with, he was going to make the greatest impact on. And because he's God, that they couldn't lead him astray. But in our life... Who we are with, we are going to be impacted as well. And so we need to choose wisely who we're going to be with and who we're going to pour into, etc. Because the closer the connection, the greater the impact. Now the friend circle, where are your friends at? Too many people have the wrong people in the wrong circle. So many people uh, th that suck the life out of you, that are negative, that, that, uh, that, 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 that try to push you to and fro. They're too far close to your core. They bring out the negativity. They fill your head with falsehood. They lid your forward movement in the kingdom. They're living rent-free in your head. What you, need in your, what you need in your close and your core circles are people that are for you, seeing Christ in you, 
people who are willing to show grace and the truth of Jesus Christ to you. That are not out to get something from you, but are walking in the dark times, hard times, and joyous times with you. And by the way, you will know who these people are who walk with you in the darkest places. And when you walk those dark places, you'll know there won't be many of them. It won't be the casual, what you think will even, we're close. It won't even be that. It'll be a few with you. You need your core friends in those moments. Let me tell you. Now, let me say one thing here. Some of you might be thinking, oh, yeah, I wish my spouse was, 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 was for me. Well, here's the deal. There's an asterisk with the spouse. You made a vow for richer or poorer, for sickness and health, for the good and the bad. If you need to get help with your marriage, you don't put your, you don't put your spouse to the, like, okay, I'm going to put my spouse to the casual friends. Eh, wrong. Your spouse needs to be the core, uh, in the core circle. You need to work on that and get help with that. Does that make sense? But some of you, with the friends that you're choosing to put uh, in your core circle, you're stressed out, you live in fear, you have little hope because you're letting the draining, judgmental, ungraceful people into your inner core. You need healthy relationships. Just as the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron. Some of you need to rearrange your people. And some people in the circle, they need to have boundaries so they can have little influence at all on you. Some of you need to burn some of those bridges with what you built a bridge to and put up healthy boundaries. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes God puts difficult people in our life that we're going to pour into and we're going to be Christ-like with. Uh, we are to be Christ-like in every and all circumstances. There are going to be people that are going to be extra grace-needed people in your life. God has called you to minister to those people. The church isn't going to be people that have it all figured out. The church is going to be a hospital, of, and we're, we're, we're all the patients, right? So don't mishear me. I'm not talking about, oh, we're just going to be perfect, and all the perfect people are in the court. No, we're all messed up. But what I'm saying is this. If your circle is filled with all extra grace-needed people in your core, you're going to burn out. You need people that are life-giving and give you life-giving words and spur you on in Christ-likeness. Does that make sense? All right. By the way, you may have little choice who you work with, who sits next to you in class, who you bump into at the store. You may have little choice on that and you're to be Christ-like no matter what. And you're to love everybody. But you're to choose and choose carefully who is your close friend and your connections and who you are going to let influence you. Again, Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Solomon was telling his son, choose, be considerate of who you're going to let into your sphere of influence. You need to be intentional with your connection. Who is influencing you this morning? That's the big question. Who's influencing you? Because the closer, the closer the connection, the greater the impact. So for the rest of our time, uh, we're going to look at what happens when you have the wrong connections. Uh, we're going to look at what a true friend is. And then we're going to take a test. I mean, what a, what a way to end this sermon. we got to take a test if we're going to talk about friends, right? So here's the first thing. Number one. Bad connections, remember, if, if, if the closer connection, the greater the impact, bad connections will lead to compromise. Bad connections will lead to compromise. 
We can think, and I hear this all the time, oh, I can, I can tolerate it. Oh, I know those people can't tolerate it, but I can. <laughs> really? Are you serious? Uh, oh, oh, the Bible tells us not to think too highly of ourselves. When we think that we can handle something, that there is just a, there's just a damage field of what other people have tried, don't think of yourself too highly that oh, I'm just anointed from the Lord. Of course I can do it. I'm something special from, stop. The Lord will use broken vessels of whom he wants to use. Amen to that, that the Holy Spirit comes to empower to do things that we're incapable of doing in the flesh. But do not for a second think that you are something more than somebody else, that you can handle something that is going to be a bad influence on you. We think that we can tolerate and withstand bad behavior, but Scripture says to the contrary in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. I was once in a rental car in Poland, and I wasn't driving at this moment. And someone else was driving. And the signs are in Polish, okay? So it's kind of hard sometimes to drive in foreign countries, okay? And so we were, we were driving down this, their version of the freeway, and a portion of it was closed. They're trying to get everybody to go off the exit ramp because they hadn't made the rest of it yet. Well, the driver uh, looked at some signs, didn't know what the sign said, and he kept driving down uh, the freeway that wasn't built yet. And finally, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. The bridge is out. The bridge, there is no bridge this way. Stop. He threw on the brakes and he backed up. And I thought, wow, we almost drove off a cliff. You know, no matter if you can read the signs no matter what car you had and how fast it went, no matter who you were and think that you can do it or think you can withstand it or what your last name is or whoever you are, no matter who you are and what car you had, if that bridge is out, you're going over the cliff. And oh, that's how it is with us sometimes. We think that we can withstand something that has slaughtered everybody else. And what I want you to know is this, if the bridge is out, you can't drive over it where there's no bridge. And yet sometimes we build a bridge to things that we think that we can withstand. And I want you to know, if you're building a bridge to something that's unhealthy, I want you to know you're not going to come back healthy. If you're building a bridge to something unhealthy, you're not going to come back over that bridge healthy. Now here are the characteristics then of a bad connection. Again, no one's going to be perfect. And what's going to be, I think, convicting for a lot of us this morning is that we're going to have a lot of these characteristics in us, all right? And so this is a good opportunity for when we are kind of like feel that kind of prick of our heart, you know, or we're like, mm, just give it to the Lord, ask him for strength, ask him for grace, all right? But here are the characteristics of a bad connection. Number one, a drama king or queen, right? Have you ever met a drama queen or drama king? Just give me an amen if you have right? I don't know if that's the right thing to say, amen. Amen, yes, I've met a drama king. All right, so Galatians 5.14 says this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. Now, we're going to be going through the entire book of Galatians in the spring, 
Uh, and we're going to be dealing with the issue, and I can't wait for this because this is so huge. This is an issue that is hitting culture. It's hitting the church. It's, it's self-righteousness, all right? People are self-righteous secularly, okay? In the secular culture today, people are judging people over the place, right? And, and it's been happening in the church. People can get self-righteous and think, I'm something special for God, and you better listen to me. We're going to deal with that. Like, the book of Galatians deals with all of that. How are you to be a person of grace versus a person who is legalistic and judgmental? And so Paul is, we hear a preview here, we see Paul telling the Galatian church, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. Watch out. You ever, has someone ever said that to you before? Watch out. I was walking uh, along a busy street and I don't know where my head was at. I, I started daydreaming and I got ready to walk out into traffic and I heard, watch out. I came within a second of just being completely smashed by a vehicle. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for somebody's, watch out! And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's telling the church, watch out! Because if you're not watchful, you will become a drama or a drama king or queen. You'll become judgmental towards others. And you'll devour and consume one another. People full of drama love dissension. They love to be in the middle of it all. And they like to call it like a referee as a neutral referee. They like to be the center of attention and be the narrator all at once. And when they do reenact the stories, oh, you've seen it, right? When someone, you just, when you're people watching, you, you'll, you'll, find, you'll find the drama king or queen, right? They're, whenever they're telling a story, like, oh, and you should have heard what they said. And this is, oh, and then they said, and I was like, and then they said, and oh my goodness, can you believe that person? You've heard it, right? (laughs) They love drama. They love it. They use exaggerated language while focusing on the narrative. They typically escalate the situation instead of de-escalate it. And Paul's saying, watch out for this. Our natural selves, we love drama. You want to know why? Because if we're the narrator or we're the bystander listening, we feel good we're not that person that's being trashed. We feel pretty good about ourselves. Yeah, I'm better than that, right? It's kind of selfish, it's the self-assurance that we give to ourselves. But it devours. Paul's saying, watch out, drama will lead you to be self-driven instead of spirit-driven and, and will lead you to be self-focused and instead of God-focused. And the result, it will be consuming one another instead of building one another up. Paul says, watch out. You know what I think another translation in the Greek is, right? You know what Paul's telling to the, to the dramatic people this morning? Chill out. Just chill. It's going to be okay. You don't need to add to it. The Bible says it this way too, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders. The outside world is watching. They're watching how we treat one another. They're watching how we react in the everyday world. And a bad connection that is dramatic, they'll notice it. And a bad connection that's drama will lead to gossip. So a dramatic person can't really be that dramatic if they're not willing to gossip. 
What's God think of that? Well, Proverbs 6.16 gives us a clue. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plucks wicked schemes, a feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. We see the outflow of someone who's dramatic. They love to gossip. It's, gossip is the crack cocaine in the church, all right? If there was a legalized drug in the church, it would be called gossip. And God hates it, right? The people love it. They get pumped by it. Uh, they, they feel self-righteous with it if they put you know, some God frosting on it. And even if they gain a following, it's always at the expense of others. And what's God think of it? He hates it. Oh, hate's a strong word. It says it right here in scripture. He reserves hate, that word hate for some things. He hates this. He hates it. So if you're a drama king or queen, chill out. And if you're gossiping, stop it. Because God hates it. He doesn't hate you. He hates the words that are coming out of your mouth. Have you ever thought about that? If you knew that the words that were coming out of your mouth, like God hates that. I'm like, whoa. Like, really? Like, just think about that. Let that resonate in your heart. God hates that. Behind every gospel is a heart that feels like they want something and they aren't getting it, so somebody's gonna pay. Another bad connection characteristic is being fake or flattery. Uh, Proverbs 29.5 says this, to flatter friends as to lay a trap for their feet. Now, this shouldn't be confused, by the way, with genuine compliments. We should compliment people. Right? Remember, the, remember the five to one ratio? We should compliment people five times over the one critical comment we ever make. And the critical comment should be helpful. It should still build people up, right? There should be solutions to it, okay? So, so being fake or flattering isn't confused with a genuine compliment. We need to be kind with the words that we're using, but flattery is using kind words with an agenda behind them. Oh, I'm gonna be nice to these people because I want this, right? You've seen it. Usually it's a, yeah, yeah, you can just read it on the face, right? But flattery is being nice to somebody to take a swipe at somebody else or maybe even you later on. I'll give you an example. First sermon I ever preached, I had someone come up to me and they said, Andy, that was an amazing message. And I thought, wow, I must have nailed it out of the park. Thank you, thank you for, thank you for telling me. And I was like, yeah, man, you're, you're preaching so much better than the senior pastor right now. Oh, he better watch out. And at first I'm like, hmm, did he just compliment me? Or did he just take a swipe? If somebody has to compliment you by swiping somebody else, it is not a compliment. He's using you as a weapon. So being fake or flattery, uh, it is a trap. Too many people settle for fake, by the way. You have a lot of people in your sphere of influences that are fake or willing to stab you in the back the moment that, that the, your compliment is gone. Or maybe when you're gone, uh, they, they're circling up and they're like, they're talking about you. You want to know if someone's talking about you? If you've heard them talk about other people it just brutally, right? If somebody's gossiping about somebody else. They gossip about you, all right? <laughs> so fake flattery. Entitlement is another characteristic. Uh, to be entitled means, to, to entitle means to give someone the right to receive something. So if you work for a wage, you're entitled to that wage. That's proper, all right? 
Uh, when we mistaken a want for a need, we begin to look at God as a genie and we're entitled to him to, to work for us. God, I want you to do these things. If you don't, I'm not following you, right? That sounds uh, pretty absurd, doesn't it? We've all done it. We've all tried making deals with the Lord. Lord, I'll do, I will serve you. I'll go on a missions trip. I'll join a team. But you better do these things first. You don't want to know what God wants. He doesn't want to go into a hostage negotiation for your soul. He wants you to bring the sacrifice of praise. When you bring praise, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes you're tired and you don't have the energy. Sometimes you've gone through just a crazy amount of hardship during that week. Uh, maybe there's, you're just not feeling it this morning. Like, God, I, if I'm going to do this in my flesh, I'm not giving you anything this morning. But it's not about me. I'm not going to go into hostage negotiations for my soul with you. No, rather, I'm going to give you the sacrifice of praise. Despite the circumstances, I'm choosing to follow you right now. That's the opposite of entitlement. Entitlement rears its ugly head when you impose unrealistic demands on your family, on your children, on your friends. When things don't work out the way that you wanted, entitled people start to feel sorry for themselves. Self-pity, a perpetual state of victimhood. We are living in a culture of perpetual victimhood right now. Woe is me, and my woe is bigger than your woe. Whoa, right? And you know what the Bible says? Christ died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and you're gonna walk around now until you die as perpetual victims. Eh, wrong. He said it is finished. He rose from the grave in victory. When you receive Jesus Christ, you're, all your sins are forgiven. You've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's I who no longer live. It's Jesus Christ who lives in me. You are a victor. Do not for a second, church, Walk in this culture in a state of perpetual victimhood. The, the churches or Christians or people that do this, they are putting a veil over the cross. We are victors. And it's not, it's not tied into your circumstance. The harder the circumstance, the greater the victory, right? But entitlement is in a perpetual state of victimhood and every... And other people are going to pay for the state of victimhood that we're in. We're living in a culture, again, of entitlement. And it's nothing more than an adult having a temper tantrum. <laughs> right? Have you ever just thought about this for a second? When you watch a three-year-old have a temper tantrum in the cookie aisle at the grocery store, it's, pretty, it's wild, right? Can you imagine if a 40-year-old did that? It'd be on YouTube with a million hits, Right? It, it, there'd be cops called. There'd be aisles just completely destroyed, right? And yet, when we live with the spirit of entitlement, that's exactly what we're doing. I want it. And someone's going to pay because I don't have it. The bottom line, entitlement will go to great lengths to burn many bridges to get what they want because once you feel like you're entitled to something, you believe you have a right to demand it. And in the church world, let me just put in an additional warning. When you put on the God card, I'm thinking that you want something. I want you to know right now, never, ever, ever use the Lord to, do, to, to, to start treating people awfully or burn bridges. That's taking his name in vain. Especially in the prophetic world. Sometimes they'll say, God told me to do this, and that's not what God told you to do. Don't do that. Do not put words in God's mouth. Make sure that the leading of the Lord is always in line with Scripture, not in line with your flesh. Does that make sense? All right. Another... Are we feeling convicted yet? I'm reading these things, I'm like, 
I just need to get on my knees and, and, and ask God for forgiveness, right? Judgmental. Judgmental is the last one I'll bring up, and then we're going to go on to some positive things, okay? Judgmental. Judging people by a standard, you would never be able to withstand yourself. A judgmental person is harsh on others, but doesn't see they're often doing the same thing. Uh, it's what they call in culture today as projection, right? Judgmental is just a biblical word for what people have returned as gaslighting, right? Jesus said this in Matthew uh, chapter 7. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard by which you judge others, and you'll be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Uh, now, often when people quote this, they're quoting this towards you to stop talking about the Bible, all right? Oh, you, you, you know, you, people ask us our opinion. Like, you know, people ask us, what does Jesus say about a certain subject? I'm like, oh, you're just judgmental. No, 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 no. Speaking the truth of Jesus isn't being judgmental. Judgmental isn't content. Judgmental is a spirit. Judgmental is an attitude by which you deliver your content. Does that make sense? So often people mistaken holding to the truth of the Bible is judgmental. It's not. Rather, it's how do you approach people and how do you see yourself? If you think that you got it, like, oh, I got this biblical truth. Hey, you, sinner, listen to me, all right? Like, if you think that you're better than somebody, if you think that you got the answers and you got the goods from the Holy Spirit, what I want you to know is that you got the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you get that spirit. You get the Holy Spirit. But guess who else does? Men and women, rich and poor, sons and daughters, anybody and everybody who places a faith and trust in Jesus Christ gets the red line to heaven with the Holy Spirit, right? And yet sometimes we walk around and God does something pretty incredible through you. God will do incredible things through you. I want you to know that. God wants to do incredible things through you. But you know what happens in that moment when God does something incredible through you? Your flesh begins to think it's you. It's me. Oh, God just used me today. Hey, you, listen to me. I have something to tell you, right? That's a judgmental spirit. A judgmental spirit is when you think that you're a rise above everybody else, that you're, you're a second-tier Christian and everybody's a bottom-tier Christian, right? Jesus doesn't like that. Being judgmental isn't about being right. It's about being better than others. We need to speak Jesus' truth, Scripture says, in a spirit of love, and grace, right? While not compromising the truth. Now listen, if this is where you're at this morning in any one of these things, I want to encourage you something. It's, it, it, let, let me just put it this way first. We've gone through a, a giant list of characteristics of bad connections. And it's easy to think of somebody else right now, right? It's easy to think of, oh yeah, that person is terrible, right? But here's the thing. If you didn't feel a bit convicted going through that list... You need to take a second look at your own heart. I need to take a second look at my own heart if I didn't feel it, right? If you are, if, this, if some of these areas where you're at this morning, you don't have to stay this way. No one loves hanging out with someone who's stuck on being dramatic or gossiping or fake or entitled or judgmental. But often these people get into our core and oftentimes we live out that way into somebody else's core. And what the Lord wants us to do this morning, he wants us to repent from any one of those 
characteristics of, of being a bad connector. And he wants us to replace it with the love and truth of Jesus Christ. We can admit that we're all susceptible to these things. And your negativity has entered someone else's core. And you can give that to God now. Get the right connections in your life. Be the right connection to somebody else's life. Too many family, friends, workplaces, and even churches have been negatively affected because of these bad attitudes. The closer the connection, the greater the impact. All right, let's go to something positive now, all right? So we know, uh, we know that, uh, number one, uh, bad connections will lead to compromise. So number two, close connections should be the result of wise choices. Close connections should be the result of wise choices. Um, Elsa and I, when we were on our honeymoon, that's seeming like it's in the midst of time almost at this point now. So uh, when we were on our honeymoon back in 2007, uh, we got on the boat, and we're just wide-eyed, like, whoa, look at this boat, whatever. And, and you're with a lot of people. And when you're with a lot of people, people begin to, you know, kind of walk shoulder to shoulder, and they're, just, they're going somewhere. And so we just walked with this herd until we got to the literally end of the other side of the boat, and it was the dining hall. And so this herd literally walked in the dining hall. We walked in the dining hall. And because I followed the herd, I began to pick up a fork. I began to pick up a plate. And I realized, I turned to Alice, I'm like, wait, I don't want to eat right now. Why am I doing this? Do, do, do you think all these people want to eat? No, we just followed the herd. We got here on accident and our brains just took over. Like, well, I guess we're going to eat now. Well, I guess he's eating and he's eating and I guess I'm eating, right? That's exactly what happens when acquaintances and casual friends that we know by circumstance get into our core. Your friends, your close friends, people that are in your inner circle, they need to be there by choice. People that are acquaintances, people that are, that are in your uh, casual friends, they may be there simply because you work with them. Or simply because, uh, and by the way, you can have, you, the person you work with could become your core friend, okay? There's nothing preventing that. But what I want to say is too many people are letting influences in their life on accident instead of by choice. You need to choose. Who am I going to let influence me in my life? And Jesus lays it out this way, what a biblical friendship looks like. John chapter 15, verse 9. He said this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. For if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be made in you and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none, uh, no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Oh, this verse has so much in it. You're to choose the right friends in your core, but you know who chose you first? He's like, the Lord. Isn't that amazing? He wants you. He calls you friend. But look at this. In order to have this friendship, look at verse 9. We, you need to abide. Everybody say abide. Abide. This is a command. This is a choice. God chose you, but, chose you, but we have the choice. We need to be obedient to him. This passage is linked directly to the imagery where we are, to, we are to abide as a branch in the vine, which is Christ. 
Remaining nourished means we must stay connected to the vine. Staying in the vine is through obedience. The love of God is gracious and undeserving. Living in this love requires placing your faith and trust in Christ alone. And this continued enjoyment of this love requires one to be obedient to God in all things. You want to enjoy the benefits of being a friend of the Lord? His love language is obedience. When someone is not finding joy in Christ, I often ask, where has the joy then been misplaced? Now, I know that some of you may be clinically dealing with depression or anxiety. I get that, and you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you're allowing God in that process. I get that, okay? But if you're not dealing with that, and you're just like, I'm just not feeling joyful for the Lord, and I ask, well, what are you joyful in? Well, let me tell you. Many people are, are living with misplaced joy. They think, if only if I can have that, then I will be joyful no, if you have Christ, you have joy that will in peace, that will surpass any understanding. The love of God is so vitally important in your life. And we see in the passage that we were able to relate with our friends with the love of God that we get. Verse 12, this is my command, that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Uh, it, look, it, there's, it, there's only certain people in your life that are willing to take uh, your, uh, they're willing to lay down their life. But Christ was willing to lay his life down for all of you. It'd be heresy today to try to say, okay, therefore we need to lay our life down for everybody. You're not Christ. Only Christ is Christ. But yet, his sacrificial love is our template, how we're ready to relate to other people. D.A. Carson says it this way, though. This love is an unbreakable chain. Love for God is tied and verified by love for believers. And love for the believers is that they stay focused on what matters to Jesus, not selfish desires. Verse 13, and then we'll be done. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is foreshadowing how he will love you and me by laying his life down on the cross. The ultimate example uh, is Jesus Christ's sacrificial love. And it's our pattern how we are to be sacrificial in this life. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven, you are adopted, you're sons and daughters of the king. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you and empower you, and he calls you friend, which means this, you have access to him, to know him deeply. He knows everything about you. You can talk to him, you have access to him 24 hours a day, and just as we hope that our core friends walk with us through life, he is walking with you in every area of your life. You are never alone. How many of you need to hear that this morning? How many of you is that a breakthrough, that you are a friend of God? Our friendships need to be driven by the love of Jesus. We need to have the right friends in the right places. And some of you need to reposition those negative voices. But it all starts with you. Too often we can point that finger. But what is God wanting to do in your heart as you look at your friendship circles today? All right, quick test. And then we're going to pray. Do I bring out the best in my friends? Again, you can take a picture of this or you can... Take a screenshot when you watch this again online. Do I bring out the best in my friends? Number two, do I show the joy of the Lord with my friends? Number three, this one's a little bit more introspective. Do I become a different person with my friends? 
Or four, do I encourage my friends to stay on mission? Five, do I speak well of others with my friends? Six, do I speak truth and love and show an abundance of grace? Seven, do I, do I, have, a repu, um, do I have a reputation of being dependable? And by the way, don't make that people-pleasing. All right, that, that's not what I'm talking about here. Eight, do I have an attitude of poverty or expectancy? The reason why I throw that in there is if you have an attitude of poverty, like every, oh man, I'm just, uh, I'm half empty or whatever, you're gonna pick the wrong friends to put in your core. A couple more questions. Do I have the right friends in the right rings? And what friends have too much negative influence in my life right now? And by the way, uh, you may have awesome, healthy friendships, and just, but that's great. That's your answer. One more thing. If you're sitting here today and Jesus isn't in your core, you need to receive Jesus Christ right now. Making Jesus in your core, asking him to be your, your savior uh, is so important and you can do that right now. Have you made right with Jesus? See, God created you to have a relationship with him, but your sins have separated you from Almighty God. In fact, Without Jesus uh, being your, your savior, you're called an enemy uh, of the cross. You're not even in, the, in God's friendship circles. But he died to change all of that. While we, were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross to pay for your sin debt in full. He saw everything that you've done wrong and he paid it in full. He said it is finished. And three days later, because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he rose from the dead. And what you need to do in your response is receiving what he already did for you. It's a gift. For by grace you are saved. It's not by works, it's a gift. Just tell Jesus right now, I want to place my full faith and trust in you alone. I'm asking you to forgive me my sins. I, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. I want to follow you. I, I, I'm in. So Father, I pray that would be the prayer of people here today that don't know you. That they would place their faith and trust in you as Savior. That they would know that when they're saved, they become sons and daughters. They become a friend. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if today you want to make Jesus Christ your Savior, you want to place your faith and trust in him alone, with no one looking around, will you just acknowledge that by just raising up your hands and saying, yeah, it's me? I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm going all in. I'm, I'm, yes, I place my faith and trust in him alone. All right. So, Father, I pray for anybody make, placing their faith and trust in him alone they would know that you're mighty to save and that your, your cross is sufficient. Father, I pray for everybody in this room that they would place their friends in the right spots. That God, I just pray that they be mindful of the influences that are in their life. And Lord, I pray that you are the greatest influence in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. In church, together we say... Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church 
or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.